0: Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. Praise God. How are you guys doing tonight? Yes. God is good, man. That is so sweet. Hey, I missed y'all, man. I was thinking missed y'all. I missed this. It is really, really good to be back. Uh, Really good to be back. Um, We are going to open up God's word tonight, and I'm going to drag you guys all over the New Testament and Old Testament. And uh, I'm excited about what God is going to be doing. And like Casey said, I'm expectant for what God is going to be doing. Um, The summer between my seventh and eighth grade, I started a lawn business. It was B and C Lawn Care, because my name starts with a B, and my buddy Casey, his name started with, not this Casey, a lesser Casey. um, A middle school version of this guy. yeah. And so we had this lawn company, man. And so we didn't have cars, right? We were, we were, you know, between seventh and eighth grade. And, and yet we handed out flyers all over the neighborhood and we worked the neighborhood, man. We worked the neighborhood. We weren't very good at it, but we got paid anyway, uh, cause people felt bad for us. And we, you know, we just had a push mower and an edger and all the kind of stuff. And we would wake up early on Saturday and we'd spend all day Saturday mowing yards in the Texas heat. It was, uh, for those of you guys who have studied the old Testament with the Israelites in, uh, Captivity, and when they were like having to be slave workers and building the temple, it was exactly like what was happening to me when I was in seventh grade. There's basically a exact uh, parallel, right? And so it was just slave labor, right? It was just, but we worked hard and we made money, and we we made a good amount of money. And the reason I worked so hard was because I wanted a pet, and not just any pet. I wanted a lop-eared bunny. I don't know why as a seventh grade boy, I wanted a lop-eared bunny. And maybe it's because of the reaction that the ladies just gave in this room when I mentioned it. And maybe I thought it was gonna be cool with the ladies and I could like train it to sit on my shoulder and stuff like that and take it to school. Uh, We'd get in like zany adventures around town and stuff like that. I wasn't sure why, but I wanted a lop-eared bunny. And so my parents were like, okay, you're gonna have to earn money for it. And you're gonna have to raise money and get the cage and all the stuff and the food and take care of it. And so I worked my tail off. Worked my tail off, man. I lost like 10 pounds. I only weighed like 17 pounds in seventh grade. (laughs) And so I was just tiny and just worked and worked and worked. Got the money, got Leo was his name, right? but yep, see the reaction from the girls. I'm pretty sure that's why I was into it. Got Leo, this little lop-eared bunny, but one of his ears didn't lop down, which was kind of cute. Like it popped up and the other one went down and he was fluffy and cute and all that kind of stuff, man. And it was awesome. I got him, I brought him home. And then I realized this thing poops and this thing has to eat and I'm like, that's okay. I love him, I love him. Leo, my new, I mean, he was an investment. I worked my tail off second week of his life. He dug under the fence and my dog murdered him. (laughs) Like, it was something out of like a Quentin Tarantino film, guys. There was blood everywhere. It was just bunny fur and limbs everywhere and like one eyeball out and the other not. And you could see it like a bloody, a bloody, you know, bunny print on the fence like, Writing no regrets as he died, right? Like it was, it was lit. it was just a scene out of a Quentin Tarantino. It was awful, right? It was awful. My bunny lasted about a week and a half before he dug under the little fence to keep him safe from my dog, and my dog, Macintosh, ate him, killed him, and ate him. He did what dogs do, like he was following his God given instincts. I was devastated, right? I was devastated. I was really sad, right? I had to clean up a lot of mess. I was also sad about that after I got over the initial shock, right? Which took some time, but after I got over the initial shock of, you know, the devastation, and then after I got over being mad at my dog for a period of time, and after all of that settled, the truth was, I, I'm gonna be real honest, don't tell anyone this, <clears throat> after about a week and a half, I was kind of already done with it, and I was thinking about murdering it myself. <clears throat> They poop so much and all of their poop are these little balls and they're just everywhere. They just are all over the house and they it also chewed through like electrical cords and it chewed the buttons off of our TV remote. Cause you got those rubber buttons and it just chewed rubber for some reason. So we didn't have any buttons on the remote and you know, it was, I honestly, I was, I was going to kill it anyway. But <clears throat> my point is this, here's my point. I worked all summer for that bunny. I worked all summer, slaving, handing out flyers, mowing yards, no self-propelled mower for me. It was a push mower, right? I worked my tail off. It was not worth it, right? It was just not worth it, right? I thought, okay, man, I had these expectations and I just slaved and slaved and used my money. Honestly, I'm pretty sure the rest of my middle school, high school career, any money I had just went to video games. Like that was the point where I was like, my dog doesn't eat video games. I'm just gonna invest my money, my hard earned money on video games, right? That was the turn for me because taking all of that work, cashing it in on this animal, that was also a ton of work. I am very sad. Please don't email me like, or send this sermon to PETA. Like I am sad. (laughs) I get it. It was a sad thing, but it wasn't worth it. Like it just, it wasn't worth it for me. I spent my entire summer working. It wasn't worth it. Here's why I tell you that story. Here's what I want you to remember. I don't want you to think about my bunny tomorrow morning when you're eating breakfast, right? I don't want you to think about that cute story about, you know, me working hard and my bunny getting murdered. I want you to think about, man, is it worth it? What are the things in our life that we work our tail off Man, we just work our tail off and invest and, and strive and go towards. What are the things that we sacrifice for? And we ask this question intuitively all the time, consciously, subconsciously, is it worth it? That's the question I want to ask tonight, man, kicking off this new year of ministry with renovate, I want us to, to honestly look, at what we're called to do and ask the question, is this worth it? And why is that an important question? That's an important question because of who we are as a ministry and what our aim to do is as a ministry. Who we are as a ministry. So I'm gonna give you the three minute version of who we are as a ministry. And for some of you guys, this will be a reminder. And for some of you guys, this will be an introduction to who we are, just a little abridged version of it. And I wanna say something too that's really important. What I'm about to say to kind of remind some of us and kind of cast vision for this is who we are in this little three minute spiel. If you disagree with who we are, if you disagree with what we believe, if you don't believe us, you don't believe this, you don't believe where we're headed as a ministry, we are okay with that. You do not have to believe what we believe to come here and be welcome. I want to make sure you hear that. You might hear me define who we are and what we think is important, and you might be like, man, that's crap. I don't care about that. I disagree with that. That's not what I wanna be about. That's fine. If for some reason you wanna keep coming back, you are welcome, man. I would love that, and I would love for you to keep coming. I would love for you to keep hearing because because of what we believe and because I think it's important and because I think it's true and I think it's where God has called us. Um, And so uh, just know that. Everyone is welcome in this place, man, no matter if you agree with us or not. But here's who we are not. Let me give you a couple things that are just who we are not. Um, we are not a karma-centered ministry. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, some of you guys have heard of kind of the prosperity gospel. It's this term that gets thrown around. It's a term that gets kind of labeled on, on different ministries or churches whose theology or even the way they practice their ministry seems to say, if you come to our ministry and if you serve and if you give and if you you know support us and are a part of our thing then god is going to bless you with material prosperity right and it's an anti-gospel that's not what jesus said that's not what we're about right the the most uh practical you know and and famous things you think of the televangelists if you've ever seen those guys Guys who get on, you know, get on TV and they say, man, I've got this prayer cloth. And if you have the faith to send me $5, then God is going to multiply that. And he's going to give you $500, making it seem that God's end goal for us, you and me, is that we would be healthy, wealthy and wise. That's not what we find in scripture. That's not what this ministry is based on. We don't believe that if you come here a whole lot and do a lot of morally good things, that then that earns you karma points for God to say, okay, I'm gonna do some good stuff. Man, they're showing up at Renovate. They're showing up at Renovate a lot. Ah, it's time for that promotion because of their church attendance or because of their good moral deeds, that it's a tit for tat, that it's a, hey, I'll do my part, God, and you do your part. I'm gonna be a really good person. I'm gonna go to extra church events. I'm gonna go to Wednesday night ministry event. And if I do my part, you're gonna do your part and you're gonna give me these material things or these, that's, that's not what we signed up for. And we'll talk about who we are, but that's not who we are. Um, we're also, not, uh, we're also not just a, a consumeristic show, and I think that, that can be a trap for all of us at times, but to think, man, I'm gonna show up, and, and I'm here so that I can listen to, honestly, what I think is one of the most talented group of Jesus-loving musicians, lead me so that I might then fall more in love with Jesus, as opposed to these men and women up here in worship leading us from a place of excellence as a response to, to truth that is already the case. And so often we treat worship services like, man, I need another shot of that worship service. I need another shot of adrenaline. And we bounce from worship service to worship service, to music, to music, to venue, to venue, to speaker, to speaker, to podcast, to podcast, because we become almost these emotional worship junkies. Where it's like, oh, I need another fix of some sort of emotional push. Man, there is emotion in our worship. There is emotion in following Jesus and walking in the spirit. There is emotion and there is passion There is passion when we lead worship and when we participate in worship, but it is not something that we have to seek out and find as a shot, right? It's something that this is who we are and it's being reminded of who we are and what we already have that we then respond to. Um, I'm not gonna spend a whole lot more time on that. I I think you're tracking with me. We don't want this just to be a show that you go to and check a box and feel real emotionally energized and that's all it is. We think it's more than that. And the last thing, um, real honestly, is we're not a singles ministry. We're not a singles ministry, and there's a ton of single people in this room, and like there's one person that's gonna leave right now, and be really ticked. Um, <laughs> just wait till my next point to sneak out, right? That's fine. Uh, everyone is welcome in this room, guys. Everyone is welcome in this room. We, we realize that there is a lot of people, man, who are single, but there's also people who are married, and people, we got kids in the room, and we got babies, and we got people who are pregnant. Robert, you knocked up your wife like a few months ago, right? <laughs> she is with child, right? so we have got the whole range of you know godly people here worshiping right and 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 that is who we are and and we are not we are not uh that baby's gonna be awesome too by the way i know it i know it's parents that little girl is gonna love jesus and be a world changer anyway that's not my point that's not a point of my sermon stay on track ben We're not a singles ministry. And if you're single, man, honestly, I hope there's a lot of really, really amazing godly men here who are single. And there's a lot of really, really amazing godly women here who are single. And you guys might meet, and that might be awesome. And that might be a side effect of what happens when we gather together. And that might be a side effect of this ministry, but that's not the point. Uh, and so if you're thinking, man, okay, this is a ministry that's going to help. That's, that's not our goal. That's not our aim. Just so you know, we love you. You're welcome to come. I hope that happens. That's great. Uh, but that's not the point of it. Here's who we are. Here's who we are, we say this all the time. We are, I said it when we got up here in The Welcome, Josh says this all the time, we're broken people who are having their lives renovated, right, that name renovate, like the whole concept behind that is this idea that, man, we are are in process. Man, if you think about the renovation of a house, you know, it is a house that is incomplete, that is broken, that is junky, that has some, some dark spots in it that need to be repaired right? It's got some electrical issues. It's got some roof falling down. It's got some, you know, whatever it looks like, or maybe it's a great house, but it's tiny. And somebody says, man, I need to add more to it. And that is what God we believe is doing in our lives. And that is what we want to be about is to see God's renovation in our life, that he would mold us and shape us and, and, and change us and chisel us into the people that he desires for us to be. We are people, we say this often who were far off, but those who are in Christ are brought near so then we can be sent out. That's who we are. And I think if I were to just simplify it as, as simple as I can make it, our goal is to know and follow Jesus. That's the goal of this ministry. That is our aim. We want to know and we want to follow Jesus. And in doing that, we believe that is where abundant life is found. That's where that's found. That's what we're designed for. So if that is our goal, then this question becomes really, really important. If our goal is to know and to follow Jesus, if that's what we wanna be about, following Jesus, that's what we want from you, that's what we pray for, for you, to follow Jesus, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to live a life following Jesus? To do that, we have gotta weigh the cost. To answer that question we got to say man what 's that really going to cost us simple cost benefit analysis here 's what it 's going to cost me to follow Jesus. Is that benefit enough? Is that worth it um, so let 's start with what 's expected of us to follow Christ first Peter 1, 15 and sixteen and we 'll throw up uh, the verses on the screen if that makes it easier if you want to jot them down or if you want to look them up on your phone that 's fine too but first Peter fifteen and sixteen I think answers So perfectly this question of, okay, what's expected, right? If if I'm going to know what the cost of this thing is, if this is worth it, what is expected of me to know and be known and to follow Christ? First Peter, he says this in verse 15, 15 of chapter one, he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy for as I am holy, which is a reference to Leviticus 20 when God set the command for Moses over the people that he had adopted and said, these are my people. They are to be holy as I am holy. And here in the New Testament, Peter says, man, that is still God's expectation for those who want to represent and follow and know Christ. This is what's expected of us. To be holy as God is holy. What what does that mean? What does holiness mean? Uh, I think a lot of times we, and I think part right, we define holiness as morally right, being, being morally upright, right? Doing the right thing, following the rules, doing that. And that is a part of holiness, but holiness in scripture, it has this huge weight to it that's attached to this idea of holiness. Uh, Moses, it's constantly connected to this idea of fire. Right and purifying. Moses, uh, when he meets God in a burning bush, there is this flame that that seems to almost want to engulf him. And that and God says, "Don't come any closer because of the holiness and heat. Take off your sandals, for you are on holy ground." Right. Uh, Isaiah uh, has this vision uh, of God and going. He goes into the temple and. This flaming hot coal comes and touches his tongue, which is impure. And he knows it's impure. And that flaming fire seems to purify his tongue with this fire. Holiness throughout scripture is following and obeying God, being right with God. It is walking in step with God and his spirit and what he tells us to how to live. But there is also this incredible awesome. And I mean that awe-inspiring fear and reverence holiness of God who is the creator of the heavens and the universe right he's he's the creator of heavens and earth the entire universe all he holds all things together this all-powerful God who is holy and perfect and and worthy and and uh, only can be approached And when approached by godly men, it's, man, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground, and there is a flame and a fire to him. This holiness that we see in the Old Testament. And now here, even through Christ. A holiness that we know, how did Christ live his life? In this obedience as the Son of God, as the incarnate God, the Holy One who put on skin, who became God incarnate. Holiness incarnated in flesh. That's what we are called to be. That's what our life is called to be. Pure. Purified by that fire. Holy as he is holy. That is the expectation. So when you say, when you ask the question, is it worth it? And then you start to weigh the cost. Okay, what's it, what's it going to cost me to follow Jesus? What's he even expecting as I follow him? He's expecting holiness. That's huge. So wait a second. Because Here, we run into a problem because if you've been around us or read the New Testament or are aware of the gospel, then here's the truth. Paul says, my good deeds, my best deeds, right? On my best day, the things that I bring to God are filthy rags. Like my best deeds are really just filthy rags before God because that's how holy he is. And that's that's how the apostle Paul even sees his best days and his best works, right? The things that he does for God. We cannot be holy on our, on our own. And that is where the gospel comes in, right? That's where the gospel comes in. That's where the gospel of Jesus Christ, this thing that we talk about and use this word and throw around this word, that is what allows us to have holiness, even though our best days, our best activities, our best works cannot earn that holiness, we have the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us, referencing Jesus, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. God saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, our good deeds, our works, but because of his own purpose and, get this word, grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We are called to be holy, and yet we can't do it so by his grace, he, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, before we could even ruin it, he said, I'm gonna extend my grace to these people who are mine. I'm gonna extend my grace. So we're called to be, we can't do it. He offers us grace, his saving of us. And so now what happens, now what happens, and this is always one of my favorite parts of any time I get to preach or, or speak, is this part of a sermon. And it's the, it's the gospel. And, and there are people in this room who have, who have listened to this spiel a million times. My prayer is that they would have ears to hear it because here's what the gospel does, this thing that maybe you have listened to a thousand times, listen to what it does. It means that no matter how great your sin, do you hear this? No matter how far away from feeling holy you are, no matter how impure you feel, The gospel of Jesus says the perfection of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is available to you. The grace of God is more powerful than all of your sin and your mistakes and your lack of holiness that God expects from you. All of the holiness that God expects that you can't give him has been paid for and purchased for you through Christ Jesus. But We have ears to hear that truth. Would we have listened to that a hundred times and then with the Holy Spirit tonight, take that to somebody and say, did you hear that? You hear the shame that you're holding to? the shame that you feel like you brought into this room, the shame of if they knew, if this room knew, if that person knew what I've done, what I think, what's in my head, what I'm planning to do, if they knew my heart. Do you believe that the grace of God is more powerful than that? Because that's what scripture says. You have been saved. You have been called holy, not because of your works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave you in Christ Jesus before the ages began. What's that look like? Right? What does that look like to have holiness required, and yet it's not in our ability to really get there, right? Okay, I'm required to be holy, but... We just saw in scripture, I don't really have the, my best days are filthy rags to even earn that. What does that look like? How do, I, how do I get that? If it's not my striving and earning to get holiness, if it's not me just being a more moral and a better person, and I'm just going to follow the list, and I'm just going to be more religious, to, if, I, if I can't earn my way to holiness, but I'm required to have it, and somehow the grace of God is just going to offer it to me, how do I get those things to fit together? Here's where i would take you. Surrender you are going to be either a slave to sin or a slave to God. Romans 6, 2 says, but now that you have been set free from sin, referencing these believers who are now in Christ, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So how do we get that? We get that by by surrendering by surrendering, by leaving us being slaves to sin and our impurity and now saying, okay, I'm going to be a slave to God. We are trading this for this. Here's the reality of scripture. And this is not popular to preach. If you want to grow numerically, right? It'd be much easier to just preach, man, show up, do good things. God's going to bless you. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. Man, what, you will be a slave. You're being asked to be a slave to God. Be a slave to God. What the gospel proposes though, is that by being a slave to God, you will find more freedom because that is what you were designed for. Uh, Let me try to describe it in this way. You are designed to worship. Right? Like you just are, des- we are designed to worship. Right? And, and when you hear me say that word, I don't want you to think I'm designed to sing awesome worship songs. No, no. I mean, there is something in us. We are worship factories. We are going to find something to worship and, and attach ourselves to and, and find our validation from and find our worship. Uh, honestly, for some people, that's college football, right? If I can just use that example, right? For Aggies in the room, all of you. Sinners, all of you, right? The whole bunch of you. Um, <laughs> calm down. Um, right, like I, for college football, right? There are people I know, right? And this has, been, this has been true for me for some professional sports. I went to Criswell, so we didn't have actual football or sports of any kind. We just read the Bible all day, but. <laughs> but like, you know, this, is, this has been true to me in, in my life. And some of you might relate to this or know people like this, literally like going to an arena to watch a football game and the zeal and the excitement and the momentum to get there. And I mean, it is a worship experience. You are emotionally invested. I mean, you are finding your validity and your identity. And if it is a loss, especially if it is a nail biting loss, maybe if it's a blowout, either of those sides of the spectrum, right? Then you are devastated right? Then there is a devastating, and you know, people like this, maybe this is you, this devastating loss where like you are dejected for a period of time, right? It has become this idolatrous worship, right? Uh, money for people, right? Finding your identity, this eager, zealous pursuit. If I can get more money and more money and more money and more money. And it is this zealous pursuit. The hard thing about money is money doesn't stop after four quarters to reveal whether that idolatry is there, right? The chase of money and the pursuit of money, you might not realize that that's become your sense of worship until the end of your life. And you look back and you say, man, what did I, what did I waste my life chasing after this temporal thing? Um, Maybe it's, maybe it's sex. Maybe it's just having fun, right? You just worship gratification of man. I just got to have fun. I got to stay busy. I got to be popular. Maybe it's religion. Right? Like maybe there are people who worship religion, not Christ, not Jesus, but worship religion, find their identity and their emotion and their validation by going to this church or being a part of this religion. And it's not centered on a relationship with Christ, not made new in this relationship. It's, man, I got to do these religious things so that I can feel good. And if I don't do those religious things, I'm going to feel bad. You are made to worship. You will be a slave to something. God says you were designed to be a slave to me and for freedom Christ set us free. In that submission to me, you will find life. It's this incredible juxtaposition, right? A result of my submission to Christ is actually a life of joy and a life of, life of peace and a life of love, right, and worship and contentment and all those things. It's our design, right? I'm gonna just, just going to throw a bunch of verses. Some of them are kind of popular. Maybe you guys have heard a couple of these. But this is the call that God says. He wants us to be submitted to him. This is what it costs. This is what his expectations are. He wants us to be living sacrifices. Romans 12, one, right? He appeals to us brothers, therefore, in spite of God's mercy to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's our, that's our spiritual worship. We are called to be living sacrifices. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live. I live in faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me, right? We're, we're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to be crucified with him. You guys see a pattern in what scripture's saying? He's saying that I have so much grace for you. What am I asking? I'm asking you to let go. I'm asking you to surrender. I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice. I'm asking you to be crucified, to be dead to yourself. To, to be dead to yourself and now make your life about him. That's what he calls us to, that's the bar. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Man, the bar is raised. Right. We want to hear the gospel, preach the gospel, look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and his truth and submit to us and not just say, oh, cool. All right, sweet. If I show up to this Wednesday night thing or the Sunday thing or if I'm a part of this deal, then I'm like, this is what God calls us to. This is what it looks like to follow him, to be holy. And to be holy doesn't mean you work and do all the right things. It means you surrender to the one who will do the work through you but it looks like surrender and living sacrifice and being crucified and recognizing, man, this thing isn't my own, this body isn't my own. I was bought at a price. That's what it looks like to submit and to know and to follow Christ. Is it worth it? Is that worth it? To live your life like that, is it worth it? Look at what it costs Paul to follow Christ. This is ridiculous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives his kind of resume of like, hey man, this is what the last couple years have looked like for me as I have followed Christ. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. So it was, it was thought that 40 lashes would kill a person. When you wrap a whip around them with the cat of nine tails and you rip off their flesh and you whip them, it was thought that 40 will kill you. And so 39 was the tradition, whip them 30. That happened to him five times. Five times he was whipped. 39 times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, where they take stones and throw them. And that account, they actually stoned him until they thought he was dead. They pronounced him dead on the scene and left. And then he gets up later and stumbles out of the city, right? Like he was stoned. I was shipwrecked. Oh wait, no, excuse me. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, catching a trend here, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Welcome to Renovate, guys. That's what it costs us to, right? That's what it cost Paul to follow Christ. This is what he's asking for us to follow him. Holiness. How do we do that? Stop trying and surrender to Christ, walk in his spirit, surrender to him, be dead to ourselves, give up and let him work through us. That's what he called. If there was any doubt that this was, ah, this is going to be soft, JV, let's lower the bar. This is what he calls us to. Now we aren't necessarily being persecuted like Paul today. Right? That's not happening in our culture in, in our context right now. Although there are places in the world where that is absolutely happening. There's places in the world where that is what it means. But for us, we don't have that. We don't have that honestly purification for us. You could call yourself a follower of Christ in this culture and and it wouldn't really cost you anything. If you just wanted to take the title, take the name, but to really follow him, man, I, I talked this last weekend to a brother in Christ and for him, For him, what it looks like to follow Christ is probably never having another drink of alcohol in his life. Not because alcohol is evil or anything like that, but for him, because of propensity in him, and because of sin and because of kind of some disposition and even, you know, his DNA, he's just said, you know what, to follow Christ, I'm probably just never gonna have a nice glass of wine at dinner. You know, to follow Christ, I'm probably never gonna have a craft beer watching a football game. Because for him to to do that is going to lead him to some dangerous spots that he knows isn't going to glorify God, man. And so for him, he says, man, and he doesn't mope around about it. He says, man, okay, it's worth it. But he says, man, I will willingly surrender that and give that up. Man, there are people I know who um, have, have had to end really fun relationships, right? Dating somebody. And it was really fun. But man, they had to end it because they couldn't follow Christ obediently and still be in that relationship. And that's scary. And that's hard. Man, you look at the world and you look to your left and to your right, they don't have the same standard. They, man, holiness is not a thing. Submitting to Christ is not a thing. So if they're having fun in a relationship, why wouldn't you just keep having fun in the relationship? But if those who follow Christ say, well, wait a second, I'm called to look like him and to reflect him. And so all of a sudden, man, that means, that means I might have to end something that I really kind of think is fun and enjoyable because it's not glorifying to God. It looks like people who have integrity at their workplace might not get promoted in certain fields and industries because to have integrity and to represent Christ in certain fields and certain workplaces means you're not going to get promoted. It means you're not going to get bonuses and you're not going to meet quotas because of your integrity of deciding, I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm going to do this right. It means college students who say, man, it is more important to give glory to God with my life than being accepted by this group of people. It means college students being willing. And for those of you guys who are removed from college for a little bit, you've forgotten how hard that is to say, man, it is more important for me to bring glory to God in my college years than be accepted by this group of people that I so badly want to be accepted. That's a cost of what it means to follow him when that conviction is on a believer's heart. It looks like people putting filters on their internet browser because it's a stumbling block because their eyes wander and there's dark stuff there. It looks like, it looks like, it looks like all of a sudden, man, I can't just waste a bunch of time. It means I can't play video games every day, all day long when I get home. That maybe I'm called to be more active and, and more involved and to pour my life out. And maybe my life is not my own. And when I clock off work, it doesn't mean I can just go veg and do video games. Not that video games are inherently wrong being passive with the gospel is. So what's that look like? There is a cost in our culture, in our world. Man, what, what is that conviction for you? Right? I want you to ask the Lord tonight, before you go to bed tonight, Lord, what is it, Lord? What is this cost? And what are you trying to challenge me in? What are those things that I need to walk away from, walk into, walk out of? What are those things? How does the Lord gently, hopefully convict you of things that, man, this is what it's gonna to mean to follow me, son, this is what it's gonna to mean to follow me, daughter. Is it gonna be worth it? Is that gonna be worth it? Is walking away from that, stopping that, doing that, being more, is that gonna be worth it? And again, don't make the mistake, don't lose sight of the fact that walking away from those things, not doing, or adding that's not what earns it that's a response to God's grace we're not earning anything with those things that is God's that is our response to the grace that he's already shown us as he says come and follow me is it worth it Paul the guy who's just gotten brutalized with a life of following him in Philippians 3 8 he says this he answers the question for himself and to us is it worth it he says indeed Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, yes, it is worth it. All that I have been through, all that I have surrendered, all that I have given up, I count it all. I count all of the things that I have lost, I count that all as rubbish. Everything else I would gladly surrender. I would gladly give up, gladly surrender so that I might follow Christ. He says, Yes, yes, yes. Is it worth it? He says, Yes. He exhorts us. The Holy Spirit in you, if you are in Christ, exhorts you along with the reading of His word. Yes, it is worth it. I and our staff, I have bet my life on the fact that it is worth it. It is worth it to follow Christ, to follow him, to make the sacrifices, to, do, to, to no longer be my own, to no longer live just for me. And I'm a broken sinner who constantly slips back into selfishness and God graciously reminds me on nights like this, on weeks like this when I prepare, Ben, come and follow me. Don't you remember how worth it it is? Yes, it is worth it. So let me encourage you, to those who are in this room, to end, our t- to end this, this sermon. If you have already been resolved, that yes, it's worth it, and you know it, and you're in here, and, and you're here because you've already said with your life multiple times and multiple angles and multiple different convictions of the Lord, yes, it is worth it, he is worth it. I will continue to surrender, I will continue to lay my life down. Let me remind you tonight of the cost. Let me challenge you by the example of Christ laying down his life, to lay down your life, and then be exhorted by the Holy Spirit to continue to follow him. Man, be encouraged. If you're in this room and you have said, yes, my life is not my own, yes, I've watched friends get things that I desperately wanted, but because I wanted to follow the Lord, I didn't get what they got. And I watch other people find success and find what seems to be happiness, and yet I chose to follow the Lord in in areas of my life, and I've said, yes, be encouraged, don't lose heart. Would the Holy Spirit remind you tonight, continue to follow me, I'm worth it, I am worth it, I am worth it. And then to those who are not there yet, to those who are in this room, and I love that you're in this room, please keep coming back for you who, who you're asking that question, right? Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you saw how just backwards it was, or you saw hypocrisy or for whatever reason, you've just, you are being thoughtful about that question with your life and you have not said yes, it's worth it. I love that you're here. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here. I think the Lord wanted you here tonight I think the Lord has something more for you. And I think if you stop and you are honest and you ask a Lord that maybe you aren't ready to submit to or maybe you don't even believe, I think he's going to tell you and show you you're tired. Are you tired? Are you tired yet? Because chasing after those other things is not what you're designed for. Are you tired of that yet? Because you will be. My hope is that tonight the Lord would bring you in here to your knees and the Lord in here would bring you to your knees to say, I am tired. I want to follow you. I want to surrender to you. I want to give my life to you and that you would give your life to Christ. You don't have to strive. It's not about religion. You get to surrender your life to a God who says, I will adopt you and I will be your father and I will give you the holiness that you need. Walk with me. Man, I hope that for you guys hope that for all of us that we would take those steps. So what now? Uh, what now? Three things. What do we do with this? Great. I want to follow more. I want to walk more and step with him. It's worth it. I hope that the Lord spurs that. I don't have the ability to convince you of that. I hope the Holy Spirit is saying yes, yes inside you. So what do we do with that? One, get in community. that is a question we constantly ask. is it really worth it? Whether we know it or not, we're asking that. And you were designed to be in community because to follow Christ, guys, it feels really, really lonely at times. Man, to follow Christ feels really, really lonely. This is a room that has a ton of people in it who have said yes. And if you're not in community with other people who have said yes, I wanna follow Christ with my life, if you're not in that community, then it's going to feel really, really lonely. And that march towards continuing to say yes when temptation comes and saying, nope, I'm not going to do that because it's worth it to do it Christ's way is going to get harder and harder and harder. You were designed to be in community. Get in community. Honestly, we talk about the connect cards. That's, we don't like take a quota of that. That's not a thing. Like we want to get to know you. If you don't know anyone, that's honestly the best place to start. Fill out a connect card, hand it to Brooke, put it in the little basket on the way to the car. We will call you. Somebody will call you, we will sit down, we will get a cup of coffee with you, we will get to know you, and we will help you figure out, man, be known. Get in community around here. Get in a home group. We've got home groups. If you're like, yeah, I've already, I, I know some people, and I, you know, I have some friends, but you're not really known, get in a home group. We've got that. Go talk to Brooke. Get in community. Second, man, get on mission. Get on mission. How do we stay focused on the yes of is it worth it? We've got to get out of ourselves and get on mission. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a new series called Church People, right? And this series is going to be so rich for us where there's a lot of church people in this room. And we've got to figure out, man, what does it really look like for the church to function in the world today? How should we be acting? What should our lives look like? And if you are not a church person at all, it will be, I think, even more of a blessing to say, come and look behind the curtain of what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to function in this world and what the church is supposed to be. Because I would imagine if you're not a churchy person, it's for a really good reason. It's because you've seen hypocrisy or you've seen some things in the church that's like, man, why would I follow that God? Come and look behind the curtain and what we're called to be. But for us who are already following, are we going, representing the church of Jesus Christ to the world around us? First Corinthians five, are we ambassadors for Christ Jesus in our city? Go be an ambassador by serving, by being on the mission that God's called you to. It will keep you focused on this goal of, yes, it's worth it. Yes, it's worth it. And and lastly, your own devotion, your own devotion. You could be in like the most amazing community of believers ever. You could serve your socks off and just be sharing Christ with everybody and like spray painting buildings with John 316 and that could be you, right? Like way to go. You're gonna go to jail at some point, but way to go. (laughs) It's vandalism, that's illegal. You could be doing all that stuff but man, you don't have a devotion with the Lord. Like you don't know him, right? Like you're not still before God. You're hanging out with a lot of Christian people and you're doing all the right steps of mission and service. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go be on mission, but I don't, I'm not known. Psalm 4610, God says, be still and know that I am God. He commands you, stop. Be still and know that I am God. And if you're going and striving and you are not known by God, man, when I got married, I made, I entered into a covenant with my wife and that means I'm going to serve her and I'm going to lay my life down for her and I'm going to work hard for our family and I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful to her and focused on her and her alone, right? But if I made that covenant and then we lived long distance and I never talked to her on the phone and I never saw her and I never interacted with her and I never dated her, It was a covenant that I made and then we moved to different cities and we moved to different states and we never talked, but I was faithful and I worked hard. That's going to get really, really hard to do. After a couple decades of that, wait, I'm sending paychecks to this person I don't even talk to and I'm supporting her and I'm staying faithful to her and I'm, uh, right? Like that would be really, really hard. Your God says, be still and know, be still and know who he is. Know that he is God. Meet with him. He is available Meet with him. When we worship, go before him and meet with him. Your God wants to be known and will reveal himself to you. He is available and he is ready to show you and remind you that he is worth it. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are worth it, God. Uh, Would your spirit continue to remind us of that? Would we, God, also never water down the gospel? Would we never water down the cost of what you call us to as your disciple? Would we see it? Would we take it seriously? Would we live radical lives of holiness submitted to you the way you have called us to? And then God, would we just enjoy the fruit of that? Bring conviction to the areas of our life where we have said, no, no, we're gonna do it our way. Would you just... Gently show us tonight. What are those places that we've said, no, no, I want this my way. I don't wanna do it your way. Show us what those areas are. And then, through the power of your Holy Spirit, remind us how worth it you are to surrender all of that and get you. Thank you for loving us so perfectly. We didn't earn it, we can't earn it, but you love us anyway, and we are grateful, and we rest in that, and we respond with our worship in that. In the name of Jesus.